0: Amen. That was good singing. Appreciate that. Turn over to Psalm 116. Psalm 116, I was... Yesterday I was... I thought I was going a certain direction yesterday. And the Lord kind of changed it a little bit while I was working. And uh, I was kind of getting into one message idea, and the Lord brought me to this passage while I was working on it. And, and so, he kind of illuminated some things, and I, I thought, well, I guess I better go this direction. So, uh, I, I hope this is nice and encouraging this morning, to be honest. It'll probably be rough and unencouraging, but uh, I feel like every time I think we're going to be nice and encouraging, I end up messing it up. So... Um, there it is. And uh, so, uh, Psalm 116, if you would. And uh, we'll start in verse number one. We'll read, oh, the first eight verses. I love the Lord, because he hath heard my voice and my supplications. Because he hath inclined his ear unto me, therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. The sorrows of death come past me, and the pains of hell get hold upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then called I upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord, and righteous. Yea, our God is merciful. The Lord preserveth the simple. I was brought low, and he helped me. Return unto thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee. For thou hast delivered my soul from death, mine eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I'm going to pause there. We will end up reading the rest of the chapter this morning. But uh, this is amazing to me. I thought this was very strange. And maybe you won't think this is weird. I think this is kind of anomalous. Uh, You know, just a strange anomaly that, that you find in Scripture. This chapter starts with the phrase, I love the Lord. How many times do you think that appears in the entire Bible? once that phrase just like i love the lord shows up one time in the entire bible i thought that was as weird (laughs) maybe i think maybe i'm weird but i think that's weird i love the lord we think about that all the time don't we isn't our statement you know we love you lord thank you we love you You know, you ought to love the Lord with all your heart. And we think about all those things. There's only one time it is actually declared that way in the Bible. Now, there are some places, a lot of places throughout Psalms, where he talks about loving his precepts, loving his word, loving thy law, loving thy testimonies, loving thy, and talking about loving that book. But I think it's amazing that very rarely, and you can look, feel free, look. Take a look, grab a concordance. And very rarely the statement is that we love the Lord. That's an oddity to me in a book about the God who has taken care of everything. And so I thought, boy, it's particular. I mean, he reserved it for one spot in his book. So then it must be pretty good at telling us why we should love him. And so... I just want to preach this morning on, I love the Lord. And if you don't love Him, you should fix that. Because He loves you abundantly. He loves you abundantly. And if you can't figure out how to fall in love with Jesus Christ, I don't really know too much of what to do for you. Uh, The truth is that uh, love is a choice. You choose whether you're going to love Him or not. Uh, You say, how do you know that? Because you and I are unlovable. If you think you're lovable, you have a really, really poor sense of self. Uh, you need to recognize the fact that you're really, compared to the holy being of the universe, the God that has created and spoken everything into existence, uh, the one who really, you know, knows everything about you. That He should love you—that's got to be a choice. That's not an accident. <laughs> he just it's not that he just can't help himself cuz you're so irresistibly wonderful right i mean let's be honest with ourselves we aren't that good we are certainly not that great we are not one to be beholden and just so held up as being just the pinnacle of the greatness of humanity let alone the greatness of anything <laughs> Certainly not in comparison to the greatness of the holy God of the universe. And so to think that love is just, well, uh, it's just how I feel at the time. And it's, well, you know, you just fall into love and out of love. and all of, that's, all, that's all the world mentality. Love is a choice. It's a choice of the will. The heart and the emotions will follow the will. Commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. Go ahead and do what you're supposed to do and the rest will follow what you're doing. The choice of love is there. God has chosen to love you and I'll get into some of this here in a moment. God has chosen to love you and I I can't put it probably any better than Philip Bliss did when he wrote wrote that hymn, uh, Jesus Loves Even Me. Many of you have heard it. I love that story. And Philip Bliss is writing a children's hymnal. And he's writing, he's compiling, and he left a page for a brand new song. I believe it was Oh How I Love Jesus. And he left the page there. And they wouldn't let him put it in because it was going in this other fancy hymnal, and it was going to be like this big, you know, amazing thing. And they didn't want to ruin their sales, so they wouldn't give him rights to the song. And he was mad. I mean, I'd be mad. Philip Bliss was mad. He went to bed mad. He's angry. He's like, what's wrong with these people? And he lays down and he's so angry and he's so upset and he gets woken up in the middle of the night by the Lord as the story goes. And his answer was, you know, it's not really amazing that I love the Lord. Oh, how I love Jesus. Here I am mad over a stupid song that they won't let me put in my hymnal because I wanted it. And he replaced that song with, Jesus loves even me. His statement was, it wasn't a wonder that I would love him. It is a wonder that he would ever love me. If you're honest, there's really no good reason the Lord should love you. But he does. He does and he shows it. And he is incredible at showing it. And in verse number 8, I'm going to kind of highlight verse number 8. And I think verse number 8 really uh, is the turning point in the chapter, but it's also the spot in the chapter that sums up everything before it and talks about why we love the Lord and why we should love Him. I love the Lord because, but then you get down to verse number 8 and He says for. That's another way to say because. And I think it's the summation of all those things that He lists above it. For thou... Has delivered my soul from death, mine eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. And so we're going to preach on that this morning. Let's have a quick word of prayer and we'll hopefully be able to do justice about loving our Savior. Father, I do love you and I do pray you'd help me to love you more. Father, I think I could love you more. when we think about what great things the Lord hath done for us, when we think about all of your benefits, when we think about how great you are and still you would reach down to the lowest parts of the depths of that miry clay and pull us up out of it and establish us and take care of us and meet our needs and over and over again never leave us nor forsake us and all the, all the greatness of who you are and still you'd reach down to the wickedness of who we are and care enough And love us enough to be able to redeem us for all time. Father, what a wonder it is to have a Savior. And Father, I pray you'd help us to realize we just need to love our God and help us to do it. Lord, I pray if someone here is lost and they don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, they don't know the Lord that I'm about to talk about, they don't have the relationship with you that we have and that they'd realize they can have it. They can have that relationship. They can call upon you. They can trust you. They can have a loving God, and they can love you back. And Lord, we do pray you would help them to see their need of the Lord Jesus Christ to save them for all of eternity. Father, I pray you'd help me as I speak, help me to say what you want want me to say, and that it'd be your words and not mine, and that Jesus Christ would be high and lifted up. We love you. We do pray you would come back soon. I'd love to see you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Real simple outline here, and it's really self-explanatory. All right, this isn't a, a barnstormer and a brain shocker, and you aren't going to get blown away by it. But we ought to love the Lord. And the first thing, the first reason we ought to love the Lord is there in verse number 8. For thou hast delivered my soul from death. Now, if, if there is nothing else on the list that you feel like he fulfills, he does that one. Thou hast delivered my soul from death. Salvation has shown up. Salvation, redemption. He says here in verse uh, number three, the sorrows of death come past me and the pains of hell get hold upon me. He says in verse number four that he called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. He's the one who goes ahead and delivers us. The Bible says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? You realize that every person on the planet, if everything was just left to them, would spend eternity in a lake of fire. The Bible makes it real plain that with one sin, one transgression, one failure, you and I do not deserve heaven. We deserve a lake of fire. We don't deserve a perfect, clean, pure place called heaven. We deserve a lake of fire to pay for the debt of all of our sins. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The choice of death. There's a payment that goes along with our sins, and our sins are the thing that will put us in a lake of fire. And ultimately, the reason it is there is because we have rejected the love of God to pay for the debt of our sins. It's the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, that paid the debt of all of our sins. Jesus Christ was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him and with His stripes were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to His own way. And the Lord hath laid on Him the iniquity of us all. And the punishment for your sin is Calvary's cross. The punishment for my sin is Calvary's cross. One of the saddest verses you see is that uh, the question comes, "Well, when, where were you wounded?" He says, "I was wounded in the house of my friends." That's me. I wounded him. You realize after we got saved, you and I didn't just become perfect. We still fail. We still look at Him and we still choose to go against Him and we still choose to betray Him and we still choose ourselves over Him and whatever other idol you'd like to put in there. And you know what He says? I'll still deliver you. I saved you for all of eternity. I made you a promise. The promise was if you would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you would trust that Jesus Christ, you'd believe that He died for your sins and that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And you go ahead and believe that Jesus Christ died for you and He paid the debt of your sins. You can call upon Him and ask Him to save you because He rose from the dead and He's a living God who ever liveth to make intercession for you. You can go ahead and get forgiveness and you can get salvation, and you don't have to go ahead and have your soul end up in death and into a lake of fire for all of eternity. I want you to think just for a moment. I don't do this very often, and maybe I ought to. I don't know. Some of you don't think about it, and so I'm going to make you think. I'm going to try, anyways. Think just for a moment of the day, the time, the place, who was there, what you said, what you thought, the day that you know you were delivered. Think back. Take a minute. I'm not in a hurry. This is a pretty simple message. I'm not in a hurry. All right? Think just for a moment. The day you asked Jesus to save you from all of your sins. The day you asked Him to forgive you. The day He delivered you. He took you out of darkness and put you into His marvelous light. The day that He took you up out of the miry clay and set your feet upon a rock. The day He took you up out of that muddy pit, cleaned you up, and washed you of all of your sins and gave you eternal life as a wonderful free gift. The day you realized that you were a sinner and that you needed a Savior and that Savior was the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone and you called upon Him alone to wash you of all of your sins. How we doing? We remembering? We remembering that day? How much did you love Him that day? How much did you fall in love with Him that day just because He did that one thing? That one moment where He did something that nobody else could ever do. Who can forgive sins but God alone? That one moment where you recognize the fact that Jesus Christ is the only one who could ever make you clean in the eyes of a holy God and that He would be willing to wash you of all of your sins. And though your sins be as scarlet, they should be white as snow. And though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And you asked Him to save you and wash you of all of your sins. You start thinking of that day, you know what you start thinking? Why would he love me? Why would he love me? And then you start thinking, why don't I love him? I love the Lord. I hope so. I hope so, because there's plenty of reason to love him. Not the least of which is the day he washed you of all of your sins. Say, boy, are you gonna cry the whole message? Probably. Just brace yourselves. I don't know. Say why? Because I recognize I don't love them enough. Maybe you think you got it all together. I just. How do you love somebody enough that gave you everything? I'm going to get into something in a minute. I promise. Here we go. You can stay right here. Luke chapter 7. Many of you know the spot. We don't have to turn. Uh, You get down around verse 40, 41, 42, 43. uh, He asks the question. Right? He's at the house of Simon. And Simon, you know, he doesn't doesn't give him water to wash his feet. He doesn't do any of that stuff that he's supposed to. And the woman comes up and she's washing him with her hair and her tears. And Simon... In his heart, you know, he's like, didn't he know that woman's a sinner, right? And Jesus asked the question. He says, hey, Simon, uh, you know, uh, I just want to address something here real quick. Uh, a certain guy had two debtors. And the one who had a little debt, he forgave him. And the one who had a huge debt, he forgave him too. I'm paraphrasing, okay? This is not quoting, all right? But he says, Which one do you think loves him more? And Simon goes, Well, I'd suppose it'd be the one who was forgiven much. And Jesus says, Well, hast thou said. Now I'm going to say something right here because I'm allowed to. You say, Why? Because this is me. Uh, A bunch of us are church brats. We grew up in church, we've always been in church. We don't know what it's like not to go to church. Most of us have gone to this church. So we haven't even been at a bad church. We haven't been getting weird doctrine. and We haven't been getting all these weird things, you know. We grew up in a good church. You know what we think? This is the way we think. So I apologize for all you people who got saved later in life or you didn't get to grow up the way we grew up. We look at you and we go, ooh, they're rough. They had a lot to overcome. They were pretty terrible. Right? Sometimes that gets to be our mindset. So I got to address that. Say why? Because I have to address that with me all the time. I remind myself. You know what I remind myself? My pit was just as bad as their pit. Say so what do you mean? Because I'm going to spend eternity in the same lake of fire they would have. The Lord was merciful and gracious to me. But that's the only difference. I'm not special. I'm not special because I didn't get into some weird, crazy, awful, terrible life. I'm not special because God didn't have me grow up in one way and instead He put me here and, and got the blessing of being in church. I'm not anything special. You know what I am? I'm somebody who God was merciful to and I didn't deserve it then and I don't deserve it now. And I need to quit thinking that I wasn't forgiven much. Because the truth is I was forgiven just as much as anybody else was. Because all of my transgressions are the thing that are forgiven. Now here's you say well do you have any scripture on that? Sure. You ready? The widow's might. They gave of their abundance. She walks in and Cast in her two mites. The Lord says, who gave more? Well, she did. Why? Everything that she had. You have been forgiven much. You have been forgiven much. Whether you've been a mass murderer or you told one lie. That doesn't make sense in my brain. I know. But the truth is that one lie would have put you in hell for all of eternity just like however many murders that dude did. (laughs) Say, yeah, but it doesn't matter. You better start thinking you've been forgiven much. You've been forgiven much. It doesn't matter how many it is. You've been forgiven much. And you don't deserve what he's given you you don't deserve heaven, you haven't been great, you aren't wonderful. That's the problem we get. We get the self-righteous idea of, well, God hadn't forgiven me as much as he's forgiven so-and-so. Brother Spurgeon comes in and we're like, yeah, Brother Spurgeon, he had a rough life, you know. Brother Rumsey, he's going to be here tonight, saved him, you know, he's going to be all talking about prisons and, yeah, those people are terrible, they had a rough life and all that stuff. No, you have a rough life. Recognize this, you'd burn in the same lake of fire that they will for all of eternity if you don't have Jesus as your Savior. And there is no telling what pit He brought you out of that He rescued you from that you never got to go into. See, the real difficulty is you have no idea how terrible you would be if Jesus hadn't intervened earlier. So that miry clay and that awful pit and that terrible place, you go, well, I never experienced. Good, praise the Lord, you didn't experience it, but He saved you from it before you ever got buried in it. Don't think you haven't been forgiven much. You've been forgiven much, so you ought to love much. There is no excuse to say, well, I shouldn't love the Lord more because I don't have a great as cool story as... I want you to know. Brother Spurgeon has an amazing story. Brother Rumsey, amazing story. Some of you have amazing stories. Amazing how God intervened at the time that He did in the place that you were going the direction you were going, and he steps in and delivers you. And you know if he wouldn't have shown up then, you'd have been wrecked for the rest of your life. By the way, that same state, statement can be made for the one saved at seven years old. So, What do you mean? There is no telling what I would do if I hadn't listened to him that day. I know he's mercy. The Lord loves to deliver. He loves to. He loves to save. You know, there's certain that right. You ever? Uh, we were at the pastor school, and uh, one of the things one of the pastors said was he was talking about people's gifts, using people in their in their gifts, giving them opportunities to serve. He says, you know, some people. They want, they want something in particular. They want to do a certain task. Right? But God hadn't gifted them there. Right? Amen? Do we understand this? Am I dead? Am I dead in the water? I am. I'm dead in the water. All right. I love this. I love this. is great. Super Super excited. <laughs> That'd be awkward. Um, gifts, right? That's where I was. Okay, who? Thought I lost entirely. Uh, right, people—they want to do things, but some of them aren't gifted that way, you know. And he goes, uh, he made a great statement. I don't even remember which pastor I was talking, but he goes, "You want to know how to know where you're gifted?" This was was really good. He goes, what does everybody ask you to do? Say, what does that mean? That means you're probably good at it if they keep asking you to do those things. If they ask you to do something, you're organized, you're a really organized person, they ask you to organize that, that's a good thing. You've been gifted. You go, I don't really like that, but the Lord gifted you there. That's a pretty good deal. Right? Right? We want certain things, but the Lord may not have gifted us there. And you know what He's trying to do? He's trying to get you to see. Hey, guess what? You can follow my leading, the gifting, right? I give you a gift, and people go, well, you know, uh, you know, I just, I just, if I just had so and so stuff, if I just had all these things, if I just had, then I would be. No. He delivered you, and He delivered you for a purpose. He delivered you to be part of what He has going on. He's an amazing deliverer. He wants to save, and then He wants to go ahead and implement whatever it is you're good at. He gave you a reason to be good at it. Well, I don't have anything to offer. I'm sure you do. Be available. The Lord will figure out for you. Be willing. He delivered you. He loves to deliver. He loves to supply. He loves to work that way. That's what he does. He over and over again delivers. And then he says this, For thou hast delivered my soul from death, mine eyes from tears. Now here's, don't, don't misconstrue what he said right there. He didn't say you don't have tears. He didn't say that. He didn't say you don't cry. He said He delivered you from. That means you had Him. Right? Didn't you have death was going to be the outcome? Didn't you have uh, delivered my soul from death? Didn't He have to deliver you from something? This is deliverance from some tears. Getting you out of the doldrums. You can think of no greater comforter. I can't think of anybody who's a greater comfort than God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, you know, that's what I was getting at with my gifts thing. Man, stupid microphone. I'm going to back up just a little bit, all right? I'm going to back up just a little bit, right? The gifts, right? Go back to the gift thought, all right? If that's, if that's what the Lord gives you, then that's, right, that's what he, people think of you that way, all right? So, for instance, Brother Viscom is the sign guy, right? If I want to sign, actually, I was talking to somebody today, they, they I messaged them back and I just said, hey, I've got a guy that can do that, so you may get a call. Um, so get on the road, Um, Right? You think, you think of people in your life, you go, that's that person. If I need that done, that's who I'm calling. If I, need, if I need land surveying done, I'm calling Brother Getman. right? If I need music, if I want to know music, I'm calling Brother Andrew, Brother Getman, my wife is good, all these people. I'm, there's certain people, they have that gift. They know what they're doing with some of that stuff. I don't know what I'm doing with that stuff. So I ought to call somebody else that knows what they're doing. Right? If I'm dealing with some drainage issues, Ron Stanton, right? Hey, help me out, man. I don't know what we're doing, right? And he'll go ahead and dig everything up and make it look good. And right, there's just certain people you you go, "Hey, I don't know about that, but I know they do." And I can call on them. They'll take care of it. Or they'll know how to take care of it. If I want a tree cut down, I'm not doing that myself. I know brother Ford is going to come and he will take care of it. Like there's no reason for me to kill myself, all right? My luck, I would drop the tree on the house as opposed to dropping it where I'm supposed to. So I just let Brother Ford take care of that. Or There are certain things that we do that we know, hey, if I need that done, I just call so We give him a title, right? Sign guy. You know what Jesus' title is? The Savior. He's the Savior. And beside me, there is no other. He's such an amazing Savior, you don't need anybody else to save you. He's the only one that can do it anyways. That's why he's given that title. You know what else title he's given? The God of mercies and the God of all comfort. Who comforteth us in all our tribulation. That's what he calls him in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. The God of mercies and the God of all comfort. You realize that God reaches down and when you're crying and when you're in tears and when nobody else knows and nobody else can and nobody else recognizes and nobody else even cares. He does. He's full of compassions. Thy compassions, they fail not. You say, why should I love Him? Because He's the all-compassionate, all-comforting Savior. Savior who he is who is there in times of trouble that you'd rather have with you than him job had some friends that lasted a week right i just want somebody i can i can grab onto and that'll make me feel better and the lord says yeah but i've got these arms I've got these arms that are ever-present. I've got these arms that, as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, I could just gather you in, and you'd be protected, and you'd be safe, and you'd be comforted. Say, what's the problem? But you would not. We oftentimes try to find comfort somewhere else. Because we recognize, we need to start recognizing we don't love the Lord the way we should. If we loved Him, He could be all the comfort we'd need. And I'm not saying you don't need people in this life, and that's not how it is, bear you one another's burdens. I know all the verses, right? We got piles and piles of verses to stand together and to encourage one another and to strengthen one another. But let's face it, everybody else doesn't know everything else. And He knows everything. He knows, he knows when you are downtrodden, and He knows why. Ladies, you may not feel like you can tell your husband right then, but you've got a God who you can tell. He already knows. Gentlemen, you may not feel like you can tell your wife right about then because it's too heavy on you, you don't want to feel too weak, and you want to make sure that you got maybe a solution. You know how we are. you got somebody you can tell besides her. The God of mercies and the God of all comfort. Kids, you may not feel like you can go to your parents, but you've got a God who you can always go to. And He'll comfort you in all your troubles. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't go to your spouse, and I'm not saying you shouldn't go to your parents, and I'm not. You should. The relationship should be there. But boy, there is one who can comfort better than anybody else. There's one who knows the answers. There's one who, you know, sometimes you go to see somebody and and they're miserable comforters. Are you all right? They just want to give you the answer and push you away and tell you, okay, get back up. Let's do this. right. That is me with Uriah constantly. Suck it up, Uriah. Get up. Quit crying. You're just going to get another. Anyways, um... And Melanie will be like, oh, and she'll pick him up and hug him. And it's okay. And you calm down, take a breath. I'm like, take a breath. Um, right? Right? And the Lord is like, hey, you know what? There's a reason he makes that statement as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings. Thy father and thy mother forsake thee, the Lord will take thee up. He gets both roles. So he's not just this mean, terrible dictator father going, come on, toughen up. Instead, he's the wonderful comfort. And he says, hey, it's okay. It's okay. Troubles happen. You know why he can say that? because he was described as a man of sorrows and acquainted with griefs how about that for a title a man of sorrows and acquainted with griefs say nobody knows how terrible it is for me how about the man of sorrows who's acquainted with grief that's that's a pretty rough statement Jesus Christ knew what grief was he knew what betrayal was who would be betraying more than Judas? I mean, that is literally the name we use for someone who is a betrayer. Right? He's the pinnacle character. If there's somebody who's been, oh, you're a Judas. Right? I mean, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty rough, right? You say, who was the first one to get betrayed like Judas? Jesus by Judas. That's why we do that. Right? Uh, hopefully nobody calls you a Judas. That is not a good gift to have. And so, sorry, back that up. Back that up. You don't want to be a Jezebel either. Amen. Um, all right. And the Lord reaches down. You know what he does? He goes, I've been there. I know that hurt. Betrayed by those closest to you. Wounded in the house of your friends. Family turned on you. Forsaken, he is forsaken of the Father. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Bearing the the reproach and the sin and the transgression of someone else. Realize no man liveth to himself, and it's certain no man dieth to himself. So you know what you get? You get stuck in the sins of other people. Brings you to tears. The other things that people do. You know what the Lord says? I can comfort you in that too. He was brought down into the sins that you had. Brought him down so much that he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood in a garden to go ahead and take that. He's a wonderful Savior. Say, why should I love him? Because he delivered my soul from death, mine eyes from tears. And my feet from falling. See, I don't know if this has been encouraging. I I hope so. You Realize he delivered you from all of your sins. He went ahead and saved you for all of eternity. He comforts you day to day. And you know what he does? He strengthens you so you can stand. He strengthens you so you can go ahead and stand in a world, in a day when it is hard to stand. I don't like to make excuses for our generation. I would dare say that, you know, whatever generation you're in, you've got sin to deal with, all right? There's no real excuse. Well, you know, it was just tougher for me. Not really. Not really. Sin is sin, all right? But boy, it is blatant today. Sin is flaunted and held up so high, The opportunities and the openings are so easy. The things that are out there and the things that are accessible to you and I today are so prevalent and so easy to get to that you and I don't have to go slinking around and hiding to go get it. We can just go ahead and pull out a phone and have it. All of it's right there sin and choice and you can walk down to the store you can go over here you can go over you can buy whatever it is you want you can do whatever it is you want you can go hide it in your house for as long as you want doesn't make any we've got it all and it's all accessible and it's all available but sin has always been available so i don't like really making that excuse but the truth is i will agree it is awfully accessible the worst of the worst is becoming accessible See, because it's not just the accessibility of sin, it's which sins are accessible. That's the only difference. And now there's no restraint on a world to go ahead and flaunt it all. And then that question comes, well, I mean, how can you just live holy in this world? I mean, it's so wicked, how come we don't just all, you know, I mean, honestly, how, you got to let a little bit in. Well, Psalm 37 and verse 17 For the arms of the wicked shall be broken but the Lord upholdeth the righteous. Verse 24 Though he fall I'll back up one. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall he shall not be utterly cast down for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. Now I said this a minute ago, right? He didn't say he'd deliver you from tears in in the sense that you weren't going to have any. He didn't say you couldn't, you wouldn't be falling down ever. But his statement is well, you won't fall. You'll fall maybe, but you don't have to. But if you do fall, a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again, I'll uphold you. If you want to be righteous, I'll uphold you. If you want to walk with me, I'll uphold you. If you want strength to do right in an evil day, I can uphold you. He upholdeth all things by the word of his power. Well, he can uphold you. I got talking about Rahab this morning and you got the wall of the city and everything's falling down and everything's, you know, destroyed. And just one little section of her wall is standing up. <laughs> one little section of wall standing right there, holding up her house. Say, what does that mean? That means that the Lord can go ahead and hold up whatever He wants to no matter how wicked everybody else is. The judgment of Jericho comes and the walls all fall down except for Rahab's section. Why is Rahab protected? Because she chose to be righteous. Well, the Lord couldn't. What do you mean the Lord couldn't? Since when can't He? Love is a choice. Serving Him is a choice. Going ahead and submitting to His strength and letting Him empower you and letting Him do, that's a totally different thing. You realize the Lord wants to strengthen and help you. Even in the times that you fall, He wants to pick you back up. He says in Psalm 145, in verse 14, The Lord upholdeth all that fall and raiseth up all those that be bowed down. You, You fall down, that's all right. The Lord will pick you back up if you let him give him your strength if, if you'd go ahead and surrender your strength to his and go ahead and yield to his power and his might and his ability and his will he can lift up anybody that's impossible I'm down too far God didn't have to reach down too far to get you out of a horrible pit and set your feet upon a rock you think you're lower than that not for him The Lord is, his arm is not shortened that he cannot save. And his arm isn't shortened that he can't catch you before you hit the ground on that fall. And he can go ahead and stand you back up. Go, don't worry, we're going to keep trying. He's a wonderful God because he understands that we're dust. And he says, let's try again. Isn't it amazing how many tries you've gotten? I think let's be honest. be honest with yourself. don't tell me, all right? I don't want to know. This isn't the Roman Catholic Church. I do not want you to confess to me in a box. All right? You keep that one between you and the Lord, okay? But let's say the Lord stopped at a good, a good number. Let's say, let's say you could go against him a hundred times since you got saved. 100 mistakes. I'm out. Well, let's go, let's go scriptural, right? 70 times 7, 490, I'm out. If that were the only number of times I could fall, I'm out. I'm out. And he goes ahead. And he reaches down again and he says, hey, let's go 491. Let's, let's go one more time. Let's see if we can try it again. Say why? Because He always wants to uphold you. Everybody thinks God's looking for them to fail and waiting for them to fall down and just so He can stomp them farther into the ground. That's not God. What kind of a horrible God do you think saved you and delivered you? What kind of a wicked God do you think you get to serve? Instead, He's a loving God. And He reaches down and He says, yeah, you messed it up again but boy, I'm good at delivering. I'm good at fixing things that nobody else could ever fix. I'm good because that's what everybody calls me. You know, one of his titles is good. Wonderful. By the way, you don't get the title wonderful if you're not. He's wonderful. You know what he is? He's altogether lovely. Half tempted just to start listing names. The Rose of Sharon and the Lily of the Valleys. No matter what valley you're in, there he is, blooming like a lily, sitting down there in the valley. That's why he's not the Lily of the Valley. He's the Lily of the Valleys. He's in all of them. Doesn't matter which valley you go into, He's just waiting down there to be what? The God of all comfort. The one to strengthen you when you fell down in there so you can get back up. I I could do this for a while. I won't. Look back at Psalm 116. I got to wrap this up. Now, He starts off the psalm, right? I love the Lord because He's done all these great things. Now in turn, in turn, you got to show love. Now, the problem we have is we aren't good at showing it. If your wife, your husband... Your answer, right, is just, well, I love you, and then they mistreat you. You look around, and you're like, why do people go in abusive places, and why do they deal with those things? Because they get lied to. I love you. I love you. I love, but the love doesn't follow. The actions and the saying do not go together. I half to think that you and I are that way to the Lord sometimes. We're all ready to go, and Brother John and I were just talking about they honor me with their lips and they praise me with their mouth, but their hearts are far from me. Well, I love the Lord. Say, so why does it show up only this one time? I think because oftentimes we proclaim it, but we don't really mean it, and the Lord didn't want that in there. Say, so how do you know you mean it? Look at the rest of the chapter here, and I'm just going to highlight these. I'm not going to preach on any of them. You know what they mean. This isn't. Deep theology right here. Verse number 9, I'll read that again. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, therefore have I spoken. I was greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are liars. What shall I render unto the Lord for all His benefits toward me? What do I do because God has been so great? Right? Good question. I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I'll trust Him as my Savior. Verse 13, verse number 14, I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all His people. What do you promise God? You know what scares me? Is how many times we come down and we barter with Him. And we expect Him to pay before we ever pay. God, if you do this, I'll do this. And God comes through and then we leave ours hanging. And we hope the God that doesn't forget anything but our sins and our transgressions will hopefully forget about that vow we just made. So how do you prove your love? Keep your word to Him. Verse number 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. I got to die for Him? How about this? I die daily. How about it's a resignation of your will to His? Prove your love. How? If you love me, keep my commandments. Die to self. Verse 16. O Lord, truly I am thy servant. I am thy servant, and the son of thine handmaid. Thou hast loosed my bonds. I'm now your servant. Then serve the Lord. What does He tell you to do? You want to prove your love? Serve Him. Do what He told you to do. Live how He tells you to live. Act the way He told you to act. If you love him, do it. Put feet on it. He says in verse 17, I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. How thankful are you? Maybe I'll preach just a half a second on this. I think one of the saddest things is how ungrateful we are as a people, how grateful we are as a nation but how ungrateful we are individually in all the times that we have seen God do and we forget so quickly His benefits. We are quick to ask for Him. We are quick to want Him. We are quick to call upon, but we are not quick to thank. We ought to be ready to thank Him. And sometimes it's a sacrifice of thanksgiving, which means you didn't get what you wanted, but you're thankful anyways. I won't get into that too much farther. Interestingly enough, verse 18, I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all His people. Almost like He knew we'd have trouble with that one. He said it twice. He said it twice in just a few verses. Lord, I'm going to keep my word to what I told you. I'm going to do what I said. I promised God and I love Him. How many times do you make a promise to your spouse, to your kids, to your friends, and you don't keep it? How lousy you feel right afterwards. You know what's strange? Why don't you feel more lousy that you don't keep the ones you made to the Lord? Verse number 19, in the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of thee, O Jerusalem, praise ye the Lord. Praise Him. Praise Him. If you love Him, you're going to praise Him. You know, it's amazing, and I'm going to end right here, I promise. It's amazing to me. When you love somebody, all you can do is brag about them. You don't point out how terrible they are. You don't reference how awful they are and and the times they've messed up and the times you think they didn't do it well. Why is it that God's people can't just praise Him? They always got to figure out that God's doing something bad to them. God has never done anything bad to you, nor does he want to. You may reap what you sow, but God's not, he's not a taker. He's not looking to take. He's always a giver. He's not looking to take all your stuff and to take your family and to destroy this and destroy that. That's the devil. Quit blaming God and praise him because he is a wonderful God. And if you love him, you ought to just talk great about him all the time. He is a great God who has delivered you from death and made sure that you're saved for all of eternity. He comforts you when you're afflicted. He comforts you in all of your troubles. He reaches down and spends time and cares and wants to comfort and reach around and give you the biggest hug he possibly could. And then he turns around and every time you fall down and you fail him, he picks you back up and says, okay, let's try again. He is a wonderful, loving, and merciful God. And the one time you find that phrase, I love the Lord, you find out why it matters and you find out how you should show yours. It's pretty evident he loves you. Is it evident you love him? Is it evident you care? Or is it just so evident that he cares for you, and there's nothing the other way? I hope it's not that way. I hope you can stand up this morning and be able to, let's go ahead and stand. I hope you can stand this morning and say, I love the Lord and you mean it and you show it. Because the Lord needs some folks who just show that they love him. He is worthy of our love. He is worthy of our praise and adoration. He is worthy of us fulfilling all the vows and the sacrifices and the thanksgiving, all that stuff he's worthy of. It's no question about that. It's whether or not we give it to him. I hope you love the Lord this morning. I hope you can honestly stand, and if you were face to face with Him, you could say, I love you, Lord, and He would say, I know. I hope it wouldn't be like Peter, Lovest thou me more than these? I hope it wouldn't be the argument. Have to prove, Well, yeah, of course I love you. You know I love you. You know I love. I hope it'd be, Lord, I love you. And He'd say, I know. I know. I hope you mean it from your heart this morning. If you're in here today without Jesus Christ as your Savior and you have no idea what I'm talking about, I'd invite you to come. We'll open a Bible and show you out of the Bible how you can know your sins are forgiven forever because of the price Jesus paid for the debt of your sins. We'll give you a chance to call upon Jesus Christ alone to save you. You can make the choice. You can choose whether or not you're going to accept Him as your Savior or move on. But He wants to save you. He loves you. Christian, He loves you today. He's proved it. He's done more than enough to prove it. Would you prove your love for Him? Father, I thank You for the morning. I thank You for Your goodness. I thank You for Your care of us. Father, Your care hath flourished. Father, there's tons of verses on how good You are and Your benefits and Your greatness to us. I pray You'd help us to be great to You. Treat You like a wonderful God because we know that You are. Lord, we pray you'd bless the invitation even now in Jesus' name. Amen.